You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 67. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And we have a little bit of follow-up. You want to carry us into this? Yeah, so this this is like follow-up that created its own follow-up. So this article, it was originally for a intuitive device to control like a quadcopter. And notice I did not call it a drone because that's not what they are. So basically, <laughs> it looks like a, a big bracelet. And you put it around your forearm and then you like, you know, dance like a crazy person. <laughs> and that's how you like, you know, the the like contractions, your muscles and the way you tilt it. Like that's what makes the quadcopter move. So, then you know, the whole article is about like, are we going to control like Internet of Things style devices with more like tactile inputs because they're tactile devices. But you didn't get to read any of that <laughs> <laughs> because this this website uh, has like a crazy like cookie attached to it that if you view the page too many times, it just like collapses and stops letting you access it until you go through the paywall. Yeah, I was very, very angry when I tried to go to this page. Yeah, and then so it's worse than that. So not only is there like a crazy paywall, even though there's ads and stuff all over the site, but the reason I wanted you to see this particular article was not just for the content of the article, but it had something I've never seen before, which was you could read like the first like sentence. So like the title and the first sentence. And then there was a two question survey from Google. You answer (laughs) the two questions and then the survey goes away and the rest of the article comes up. So this was like, it's, this was like two layers deep of its own follow-up because at first I was like, oh, intuitive interfaces, ha, 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 ha. And then I was like, oh, an alternative to ads, interesting. And then it was like paywall and just the whole thing like collapsed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's asking me if I, you know, I'm excited about maybe spending eleven seventy-seven a week for access to this for uh, Financial Times Alphaville Plus Unlimited <laughs> FT.com articles, unlimited mobile and tablet access, unlimited fast FT, five-year company financials archive, the Lex column, e-paper access, three exclusive emails, because I love more emails. The, the fact that they made a delineation between accessing the website and accessing the website but from a mobile device i'm already like no you cannot have my money yeah i don't i don't care how valuable your insights into the financial times are financial times you can't have my money (laughs) (laughs) i refuse to support these practices but so imagining not you know the crazy paywall and everything all that aside you know imagining like a, a physical device that you is like a wearable to interact with internet of things connected devices like do you think there's any truth to that because to me like the most simplistic version of this is when you were talking about using your apple watch as like a universal apple remote that can never be lost in the couch cushions yeah no i think a a clearly labeled button on a touchscreen is gonna go a long way for a long time um just like hardware buttons are never gonna completely disappear 
um, because there's just something so reliable about them, especially like in something like a car. Like, yeah, we're going to have touchscreens and like Android Wear and Apple's car stuff is touchscreen based. And, you know, when you're driving, if you want to change the radio station, a button is like a hardware button is so reliable because you can feel it and you don't have to look for it. And, um, I mean, I guess maybe there'll be some blurring eventually where like they'll figure out these like, tactile like surfaces that can change shape or like add bumps to themselves i've seen some like patents over the year about like haptic feedback on screens but yeah this whole like invisible magic water dance to get your you know your fleet of quadcopters to dance with you um, i just (laughs) i don't see that future well so during uh the Oh God, the Hololens, um, the Hololens like show off at build. Uh, whenever the guy wanted to click on something, he kind of held his hand out in front of him and then like tapped his finger, you know, as if he was like clicking a mouse or tapping on a, a touchscreen. So, how would you feel? Because I mean, you you know, you have a Wii U, you played the Wii. How would you feel if your Apple TV display came up and you've got like a big list of movies? If you actually if you were wearing your Apple Watch, so you have to have the watch on for this to work, but you can just swipe your hand through the air, like would you have any interest in being able to do that, or is that just wasted effort to you? I guess it just depends on like how good like it's you know, a good user interface, like how reliable it gets. It has to pass that like certain, like we were talking about that threshold of like the fingerprint sensor of like it has to work often enough that you aren't like worried every time you use it that it's going to work and like the same thing for like weird air interpretation gestures like if it's only like a 50 50 understanding what i meant ratio i'm gonna abandon it pretty quickly but if it's more like 80 or 90 percent even then it might still be kind of irritating but i'd be like oh this kind of works and we might see many years of many manufacturers just kind of sucking at it and so then everyone will be like, duh, it's stupid. No one should ever do that. And then finally, like, we'll, we'll reach that threshold and be like, just kidding. This is awesome. Same thing with like voice <laughs> control. Like voice control. Yeah. The, it's all been getting better on most platforms and Google's kind of been ahead a little bit on like fast recognition. But even on Android, it's still like just that slight bit of lag or that slightly you got that one word wrong once that like, you like second guess yourself like do i want to voice search or do i want to just type it in and like when are we going to cross that threshold of just like oh it's star trek now i'm just talking all the time yeah i'm i i honestly wonder will the technology get there let's let's say like next year you know where it works 90% of the time but then how much longer until the social thing catches up where people aren't like oh my god that crazy person just learn keyboard <laughs> shortcuts stop screaming at your laptop all the time because <laughs> yeah. they google actually enabled a uh, god like a year ago now the uh the ability to do google voice searches in chrome on the desktop and i distinctly remember enabling it trying it and being like oh that's cool i don't want to be the crazy guy sitting in my office googling stuff by talking to my laptop (laughs) because you just feel like people will judge me right there's like this weird weight on you well also like 
I, I want the computers to get so good at voice recognition that I can mumble to them. Like, it doesn't have to get to like the sub vocalizing thing you brought up. Yes, no, several yeah, times. It, it totally does. Yes, it does. Well, it does, but like, <laughs> I mean, for me to start using, I just want to have to go into I'm dictating to my computer voice because there is that like slight difference of like, what's the weather like? And you're like enunciating and like adding like unconscious space between the words and it's like you're not talking like a human you're talking to a computer and uh, just like it needs to get and I'm sure this is a tough problem because you're in different environments and like different kinds of microphones and cancellation and and all that it's a, a difficult problem it's not just software but like it needs to get to where like I'm, it doesn't sound like a totally different way of speaking. Well, you know, I, and I can't speak for Siri as much, and I, I've never used Cortana on uh, Windows Phone, but I have found that the more naturally I speak to uh, Google Now, or yeah, I guess that's what the voice search is called, the whatever the voice search is called, Google Voice Search, um, the more naturally I speak to it, it actually is way more accurate because I think all of their data sets are like normal human speech, not people saying like, okay, Google, what is the weather? Like they're really encouraging people to just speak normally because when they write their algorithms, they're using, you know, people speaking in movies and famous speeches that have been recorded and and normal, you know, dialogue. So when you speak in that robotic way, I think you're actually giving bad data to the algorithm just like <laughs> if you go into google and you intentionally misspelled every single word like yeah it might get it but you're needlessly handicapping yourself yeah but i mean but i'm also like I, i'm waiting for the year where at google io or at some like ted talk someone unveils like um you know where it's like oh we went through a random sample of 10 percent of youtube and we got our computer to transcribe it 99.9% accurately. And like, cause right now, you know, YouTube has like the auto transcription. Oh, and it's it, so bad. It's about as good as <laughs> Google Voice transcription always was. At least with Google Voice, you could kind of be like, well, it was like shitty cell phone audio. Like, it, it's a difficult thing to interpret. Um, and I guess you would say that the typical YouTube video probably is also pretty <laughs> terrible audio. But like, I'm waiting for that, like, threshold where someone's just like dude we nailed it that is that's an interesting point because i would say my like what because i do dictate voice searches i would say a couple a day um so i I use it fairly often and it's got a pretty damn high success rate like into the 90s and yet when i get a voicemail transcribed it's like batting five or ten percent i mean just (laughs) just terribly bad like laughably probably a bunch of tumblers exist for a bad <laughs> it's like the translation party oh what, it, what was it english to japanese back and forth until it hit equilibrium yeah <laughs> oh, i remember that that was fun so i don't know if you if you saw this but uh microsoft is apparently going to take a cue from apple which they've been doing a lot lately and in a lot of good ways, so I ain't even mad. But they're going to bypass carriers and push Windows 10 updates directly to supported devices. So no more like waiting on, yes, big time yay. All of of their customer are going to be really excited about this. (laughs) Oh, that was harshly completely accurate. (laughs) But I mean, this is to me like this is I've I've actually been dealing with this because my Moto X because I have a first gen Moto X still does not have Lollipop. 
still really kind of super pissed off about that because even though the vast majority of things have been pulled out of the core OS update and now they're crammed into Google Play services and we don't have to go down that whole rabbit hole, but there are things that are part of the core OS update that I don't have and I'll never have until they update the core OS and it's really irritating. Like it's really super irritating. And also just imagine if there was like a, a security hole in the core OS and it's like, well, I hope someone helps update me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that it at that point, I think it would have to be a fairly critical like really seriously critical before they just went to the carriers and they were like, "Listen, you have to let us push this immediately." Um which is why, I mean, technically if you're following uh the correct versioning structure, you've got like major minor patch. So, a patch update the the carrier should be able to push that with like virtually no review, but whether or not they'd actually do that, who can say? Yeah. I, well, we can say they wouldn't. I'm sure that the they carriers wouldn't. are very motivated to sell new subscriptions and new phones, and so yep, they they kind of have some market forces saying like maybe don't update the software, maybe they got to buy a new one. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, not cool, not cool. <laughs> yeah. Phone manufacturers, but th- this is. Uh, this is one of those things where, like all Microsoft things, there's a gigantic caveat. <laughs> I just had a horrible autoplay ad like screaming into my headphones. Yep. So th- thanks a lot, PC World. Yeah, um, so the, the, what, the caveat was to Was that this, the one you saw? Yep, totally was. That's why I didn't open the tab again while we were recording. <laughs> um, yeah, so the caveat to this is it still might be several months <laughs> to get updates out to Windows phones. Yeah. So, which is kind of confusing because it's like if it's if you're going directly to the device and it's several months before it updates, does that is the update not ready and therefore it's not several months late? It's right on time. Like it's just how like is, a Velociraptor, Velociraptor. <laughs> it, it, I mean, really, like how is something late if it's not if there's nothing holding it up? So here's here's classic <laughs> Microsoft. Things are late when you announce them and then they don't come right away or when you said they would. Um, okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So if they say like, "Oh, it's it's Windows 10, the you know update four is ready and it's March, yeah. and they don't push it until November." Because so like you know, Apple finally making four and a half and five and a half inch iPhones is not late because they never promised them, never said they were coming whatsoever. I realized, yeah, they were late. They were way behind the market, and they were, everyone was like, "God." And all you know, the fanboys being like, "Oh no, four inches is the perfect size." <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, I have completely flip-flopped on that about a half a dozen times. Right now, I think 4.5 to 5.1 is about ideal for like my hand and pocket size. Here's the, the line of reasoning that gets you safe on the fact that we've all changed on our ideal size. It's that our phones do very different things than they did in 2007. And oh, that's very true. It's an excellent point. Yeah, and in 2007, when you just had text messages and like notes and you know, like admittedly shitty browsing, who cares? Like you're 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 an idiot if you're trying to do more on your phone. And even though the smartphones can do more than ever before, and yeah, after app stores, after like these, the processors and these things are like dual and quad core and have gigabytes of RAM and like rival the computers of 10 years ago. It gets to the point where like, yeah, I want a bigger screen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to just hide behind that that reasoning. <laughs> that sounds that sounds good to me. Um, Microsoft doing another completely annoying thing is uh, they've been saying, you know, one Windows, Windows 10 will be one <laughs> Windows and universal apps. And you'll be able to write an app that runs on everything from your Windows 10 toaster all the way to your Xbox Windows 10 device to your laptop and phone. And OK, that's great, Microsoft. But you have made literally this exact promise before. <laughs> And here's what they did. They made the mistake of releasing the like 11 different SKUs for Windows 10. So there's, let's see. Okay. Windows 10 Home, Mobile, Pro, Enterprise, Education, Mobile Enterprise. No idea what the hell that is. And uh, IoT Core. Internet of so Things. Yeah, I guess. Um, so that's... That's seven by my count. And there's actually the enterprise and the education have like caveat upgrades. But here's the thing. Here's why I say announcing this was a mistake because they have conflated what anyone cares about with like the machinations behind the curtain. Because of course, the way you volume license Windows 10 to a uh, school is going to have a different skew than the way you sell it to a small business or a very large business or to OEMs or to individuals who are buying it, you know, like off the shelf or from the window store. But why would you tell anyone that? Like, why would you make an (laughs) announcement? I'm sure there is valuable information they could trickle out to like stay fresh on people's minds. Why would you give them this? Like, this is trivial bookkeeping. Consumers do not need to even know that this is happening. Yeah. And they, I mean, this isn't just semantics. Like the, the whole like Windows RT thing with Windows 8, like kind of bit them in the ass. And I don't know if there's any such blunders this time. Cause I don't think there's like platform differences where like these are some, there's not an ARM version here where you can't run full Windows apps. But like, no, there are very minor changes. So like obviously Windows 10 home and Windows 10 mobile are different, but no consumer, no one ever, regardless of your role, is ever going to walk into a store and be like, yes, I'd like a copy of Windows 10 mobile like that. Just that is not a thing that can happen. (laughs) Yeah. So like, why would you even announce that that skew exists? Only handset manufacturers need to know that that skew exists. That's not something you announce. Is this just this back to that Microsoft really is a software business and they they like selling software and so that's the thing they think to feature. Whereas um, you know Google's it's their services and and their ad business, but with with Mac with Apple it's like here's an iPod, here's an iPad. Yeah, it has a system. It's a great system. It's the best. It's the most advanced system ever. Whatever. But buy this thing and. I get that's not exactly what Microsoft business model is. So I'm not saying like, oh, they should just sell devices, but it's, they, they haven't figured out a, an analogous way to be coherent about what they're selling to consumers. Well, I mean, this is why like th- this blog post is, is very detailed and very, you know, clear a lot and of words. transparent, <laughs> a lot of words. But I mean, I respect that they're being transparent about it. The problem is, They've chosen to be transparent about like a weird inventory bookkeeping issue because like it actually says like under enterprise and under education, like uh, this edition will be available through academic volume licensing and there will be parts passed for schools and students using Windows 10 home and Windows 10 pro devices to upgrade to Windows 10 education. Like no, no one needs to know that. No one. (laughs) 
No, no one needs to know that because the the likelihood that your the audience for this blog is exclusively uh, like CTOs for academic institutions is really low. Yeah. So why would you just make that like a main part of your thing? Like they should just say like, hey, we sell Windows 10 and if you are like a big group of people, like maybe we'll sell you a volume license. And then like that should be the end of the public announcement. And then everything else should be like a deal that happens with the customer. (laughs) I mean, like even look at like Google apps, like they aren't like, do you have Gmail pro? Do you have Gmail enterprise? Do you have Gmail education? It's just like, Oh, you're an end user. Use Gmail. Oh, your school has Google apps. Well, you have Gmail. It's part of, part of the apps. Yep, and it's not like this really confusing. Like, which version of Gmail are you on? Yeah, they actually. To, to be fair, because I think it's 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 interesting that you picked that specific uh, analogy. Is uh, Google Apps? So I th- I'm pretty sure that apps for business and apps for education function the exact same way, but it, there might be really tiny differences. But there actually is a difference between the apps version of Google Apps and like the consumer version. And the reason for that, because I this always drove me nuts, and I finally found out what the reason is. The reason that they are different is because they have to guarantee certain things to their business partners and you know education that they don't have to guarantee to regular consumers. So like you and I, we might log into Gmail tomorrow, and it might look totally different with no warning, and they might just be like, ha ah, screw you, we changed everything," <laughs> and like that's just part of the deal. We moved but all when- the T's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But with uh, apps for business and apps for education, they can't make flippant changes like that for like legal security reasons. Yeah. So it's I understand why they can't just update things and keep them in exact feature parity. But I feel like that has actually bit them quite a few times because I can't tell you how many podcasts and blogs and angry tweets and things I've seen over the years where people are like, you know, oh, I got this great new feature in Gmail, but we use apps at work and they don't have it yet. And that's so annoying because the end users don't understand that they're different or they don't understand why they're different because Google isn't clear about it. So in this case, I feel like Microsoft is going way too far in the other direction and they're just way oversharing because (laughs) like... Yes, I get that Windows 10 for enterprise has like central IT management tools that are there so that you can manage remote PCs without people having to bring them into the office and like okay, yeah, home user doesn't need that, but still you don't need to advertise that. Like yeah. only the people who care need to know. So you're saying Microsoft is like trying to tell you a story but they keep getting bogged down and like, "Or wait, did I come in at 9 or was it 8?" And Oh, no, I wasn't in that car. I was in this other car. And you're like, is this important to the story? No, it's not. I don't care what car you were in. You said you got punched. How did you get punched? That's what I care about. (laughs) Yes. Dear Bill Gates, how did you get punched? Uh, I I can't possibly uh, add any more to that. So do you want to tell me about Applebot? Because this I this feels like a half non-story or maybe an awesome story. And I think um, this this search engine land article didn't really yeah. know where to go with it. There's just not a lot to say yet, other than that Applebot has been detected. I want to have one meta comment that sadly I think it's impossible for us to talk about Microsoft and not to like take a shit all over them at some <laughs> point in the conversation. <laughs> But um, maybe we'll be impressed. I'm not an Xbox One owner yet. I would wonder if I would be very happy with that. Okay, so Applebot. So <laughs> supposedly they're uh, 
Apple bot is actually a thing. And uh, so, yeah, Apple actually posted a help document confirming its existence. And presumably, um, uh, you know, with, with iOS, one of the, the biggest um, things they can hold Google to is this, this annual or however many year deals they sign to make Google search still the default. And the, the rumor is that Apple may be more and more uh, investing in their own search engine for iOS and also just spotlight in general, any spotlight searches like before you get to a web browser when you're just uh, doing a quick, um, I know we switched to Alfred on OS 10 cause it's better, but you know, you start typing pizza in the spotlight and then it'll pull up local businesses and, uh, sort of like you're not even in a browser yet and search is happening. And that's like a sort of a way to try to preempt web search engines. Um, I realize this is also a web search engine, but so it just looks like Apple's investing in that. Who knows if they're going to, I don't think they're going to launch Apple search like as a website or something. I really think this will be embedded in their OS only. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of useful data that's collected by crawling the web that they can then learn to make things predictable and and faster. And by predictable, I mean like make the software, make smart predictions about what you're going to do next so that it can preload things or, you know, kind of guess like, oh, I should load these next four taps because that's probably where they're going. Like it, there's a lot of value to that. That being said, Apple has such a catastrophic failure record when it comes to services that part of me is just like, even if this is just a small internal thing that they're doing, how bad and crappy is it going to be? Like the first time you go to ask Siri a question and you get like an Apple bot search result instead of <laughs> Google search results, you're probably going to be really pissed because they're going to be really terrible, like like cool search results. Like was it K K E W? What was it? The the search engine the guy tried to make? Oh, uh, C U I L Q U L. Q U L. That was it. Yeah. So you're gonna get back like <laughs> raccoon hamburger. You're gonna be oh, like, man. I wanted to know what the weather was. And that that that's me as a grandpa talking about the early days of Reddit. Like, oh, Q U L theory. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that. But you know this. Like you're talking about taking a crap all over Microsoft. Like. When it comes to Apple and the web, I have zero faith, like absolutely yeah. no faith that they can make a powerful service. And I would love to be wrong because I want, you know, more competition is good, but yeah. I just, I have not seen anything to give me any glimmer of hope. This, I think, is why I always long for the glory days of like Apple making devices and Google making services and everyone being friends. Um, and those days are so long gone. It's a totally different era. It's not even worth talking about anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about in another episode about how like everyone's really skeptical when Microsoft unveils their like new research and their new gadgets because there's been so many flops or so many things that don't make it to market. And I think that same skepticism applies to an Apple introduces a web service of any kind. It's like, I'll wait and see, and maybe you'll prove yourself. But mobile me, iCloud, yeah. <laughs> mobile me, oh man. <laughs> Do you, did you ever have a dot .mac email address? Were you one of those guys? No. I, I distinctly remember, because I, I think those actually are still, like if you have one, I think they still function. Yeah, you can't get new ones, but yeah, if you have one, you can still use it. Yeah, and I, I remember I had some, some nerdy teachers in the end of high school and in college who were like, 
super proud. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm like John Smith at Mac.com. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. You know, you don't work there, right? Like they just gave you an email. It was, it's address. not at Apple.com. It was back in the iTools era where <laughs> iWeb and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, so speaking, you know, you, you said uh, like the, the glory days of, you know, it's an iPhone, but it's running Google services. And, and wouldn't it be great if we could all just, I think, no, because, <laughs> because the original iPhone was a huge leap forward for the time. But it would really bum me out if all this time later we still only had like the iPhone 3GS like caliber of device because Apple had to seriously up their game. I should say keep their game seriously up, uh, you know, after (laughs) Google decided like, oh, we're going to put services, but we're going to make other people like HTC who are like world renowned for their devices. We're going to let them make the the physical device and we're just going to provide all the services, which was exactly the relationship they had with Apple. So yeah. then Apple had to come back and be like, Oh man, now we really have to make the next iPhone even more amazing. So like I, I do like, yeah. I guess it, I, I'm with you on the utopian idea of like, if Apple continued to innovate on hardware, somehow driven by just, no market pressure at all yeah um and google you know was like this totally uh good and and righteous company and and just made awesome services forever like yeah that'd be cool but i just has not been my experience with with humans yeah. we don't we don't function that way and i think that utopia is is also dependent on the yin and yang of having a microsoft that is strong enough to be opposed because i think that was kind of the feeling of the time was like yeah apple and google they're both you know taking microsoft down a peg yeah and boy did they <laughs> um and but it, yeah i mean microsoft never had a real foothold in mobile and continues to kick their ass today. So we'll see. If they can keep pushing these updates months late, then maybe they'll succeed. Yeah, it is. You know, that's a really good point that people saw, you know, Google and and Apple to be this like challenger to Microsoft. And they are in a lot of places, but mobile, not really. Like Windows Phone never had that dominant of a position in mobile. And iOS and Android overtook it in like the first weekend. Like it was, <laughs> it was no contest. And, and the people who had, um, windows devices that I remember had like windows mobile, like six and six, five, where you had an honest, to got a little start menu and a little stylus and it was garbage. Like <laughs> those people were ultra committed to windows phone. And then the second they saw what iOS was like, and then, you know, eventually what Android became around like, late gingerbread and then on into like four O and up they like jump ship super fast like well i think they're the, like oh this this is what mobile is oh i'm, I'm out this is way better <laughs> the popular wisdom was kind of like what people use at work they'll buy for their home and i think like there was just kind of this this running story for microsoft of like well of course they're going to buy windows phones eventually because they're going to see this stuff at work and that just proved to be actually completely backwards and people love these phones they bought for themselves that it started to work its way backwards to maybe eventually they want different devices for work too. Yeah. I mean, you had a huge interface issue too. Like if, have you ever actually used an old windows mobile phone? Uh, no, 
Not I mean, beyond like in a store for five seconds. Yeah, I mean, it was literally like Windows XP's interface on like a three-inch like BlackBerry size. Yeah, there's a start menu, menus. Yeah, so I mean, anyway. Yeah, seriously. So I mean, just you know, that's not a good experience. Like that's that's someplace where you know, with the original iPhone, where Steve Jobs was absolutely correct. Like we can't just shove like Mac OS 10 into this screen because yeah. that would suck. And he didn't even need to do market research or be some kind of visionary. Like he had this amazing use case called windows mobile <laughs> to prove that nobody wanted a desktop OS on a three inch screen with like a two forty resolution. It was just, it was awful. Uh, should we uh, get off the dead Microsoft <laughs> horse and, <laughs> and talk about dots? We should yeah. talk about dots. Yeah, tell me about these dots. I've seen these, but I want to hear you complain about them. <laughs> so, um, this, this, the article where I'm linking to in the show notes, uh, that you could find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 67 for this episode. Uh, this is for a giveaway. So I'm not endorsing this giveaway. This just happens to be the article that I saw, but, um, on the side of your Apple watch, Mike, which I assume you're wearing right now. Yep. Um, you, you have two little buttons, right? You have a button and then you have a digital crown, right? Yep. So this company watch dots. Uh, is making little colorful stickers, dots, <laughs> that you can put on your buttons to either jazz it up or make it match the band or whatever your kooky style you know calls for. So, um, what your personal brand calls for. <laughs> yes, this is dumb. This is dumb as hell. Like I'm looking, and this, here's why this bothers me. When I first saw renders of the Apple Watch, my immediate reaction was, oh my God, this looks like a toy. Like, I was shocked. I was like, this looks like a toy. This does not look like the beautiful jewelry that all the rumors indicated we were going to get. And as time went on, my opinion did not change. And then when I finally saw an Apple Watch in person, I was like, okay, it looks more premium than I thought it would, but it still looks like a shrunk down iPhone. Like it still kind of doesn't look like jewelry to me. It doesn't look bad. It just looks, it's very clear that it's a gadget. No one would look at this and be like, oh, what a lovely Rolex. Wait, <laughs> that's an Apple watch. Like that is never, ever going to happen. Yeah. And then when you take the, so some of the fluorastomer bands, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're like kind of bright colors and, you can see in all these renders in this article, the, you know, the matching dots are like complement color dots. Like it really, really makes it look like a toy. Like this is, this is like bedazzling. Like it's so <laughs> stupid. So I have a question. Is it better or worse than iPod socks? What the hell is an iPod sock? Okay. Time to Google. <laughs> iPod socks is something Apple sold themselves and I, there's not a lot to describe. They are socks for your iPod. Okay, I'm. I have uh, some images of this in front of me. I somehow did not know this was a thing. Yeah, you'd buy a, a six sock <laughs> set, and there's probably thirty dollars, probably twenty nine ninety nine for this. <laughs> yep, I found a screenshot of the store. It was thirty dollars for six <laughs> socks for your iPod. And that was official, an official accessory. I'm going to devil's advocate and say at least this serves the utility of being a case for your iPod. 
That being said, it's a really stupid looking case. For for old hard drive iPods that, you know, yeah. a sock hitting concrete is not going to do anything for you. <laughs> no, because it weighed six pounds <laughs> and it had a spinner inside. But yeah, no, th- this is dumb as hell looking. It looks like they're all wearing little beanies. This is really, really dumb. But I, <laughs> at least, again, you could say like, well, it keeps it from getting scratched when I put it in my bag or something. It's you know, fine, whatever. But the watch dots just, they, to me, they remove any question that this is like a high end device and they just make it look like an ugly toy, especially the colors they chose to highlight in this article. It's like, there's a mint green and like this neon eighties pink. And then there's the black uh, band with the space gray body, which is actually kind of a slick look. So they put orange dots on the side because why not? <laughs> like, it just completely kills it. And I hate to say it, but you just reminded me that uh, there is actually some company that sells um, Apple Watch cases. So it's I like, saw one today. It was like, make your Apple Watch ready for any rugged environment. It was like this big steel thing that would cover everything. Yeah. And, you know, I really, really had thought that uh, when, like, the fake Johnny Ive account and a lot of other tech pundits were joking, like, oh, are you going to go out and get an OtterBox for your Apple Watch? Har, har, har. <laughs> like, I really, it never occurred to me that someone would actually consider that a viable product to sell. Because it just, I mean, it's a watch. Like, how do you have room to add a case onto it? I mean, aside from the fact that it looks completely stupid, like, it also renders the watch less comfortable to wear it blocks the sensors on the back so it removes some of the functionality like it's just an awful idea on all fronts well i definitely see people with um not just an otter box but like the most crazy like military grade tough book like thing on their phone and it's like yeah they could pitch a 90 mile an hour fastball on their phone and probably survive but like I just imagine using their phone and they have like, you know, five layers of screen protector on it and you can't even read it, um, let alone in sunlight where you're definitely not going to read that. And I see phones like this in the wild and I'm like, I guess people do like, I hope I can preserve this gadget that I can no longer use. Like it's this weird, I, I would never go that far on the protecting my device side. I'd be much sooner inclined to just get a like replacement plan or Apple Care or whatever, you know, um, one of those like square trade things and just be like, yeah, it's going to break someday. It'll be cheap to replace. That's it. Yeah, especially when you consider how expensive the high end OtterBox cases are. And I know there are places you can get them for less, but a lot of people that buy an OtterBox probably paid full price. So if you have a $90 case and the replacement plan through your cell carrier is like four or five bucks a month, like you could get pretty much the full life of your contract in replacement plan dollars and not have to have a giant stupid case on there. Like it's, you're going to spend the same amount of money. You're getting basically the same peace of mind. So how about no giant tank wrapped around it? Don't it, I? I will kick you right off this show if you show up with watch dots. <laughs> Never <laughs> go full watch dots. <laughs> Please don't. All right. And you can't. You can't let Shelby either. You have to be a voice for sanity in the Apple Watch community. <laughs> Fine. Let's take a little detour from Silicon Valley and uh, talk about toys. So uh, 
we got this link. I can't remember who sent this to us. Was it Matt Duncan? I think it, I feel like it was Matt Duncan. I, I think you may be right. Well, if we got that wrong, whoever actually did send us this can get very angry. So I love this video because more and more is revealed over time as you watch it. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, it's only 23 seconds, so you should definitely go to our show notes and watch it. Um, so this video starts out and you see the Spider-Man face just slowly enter the frame. And you're just like, oh, it's Spider-Man. And then you see, oh, this is like some kind of toy that gets released. And a guy finally activates the toy and like clicks the thing on top. And you get this little like spinning laser light show top playing Beverly Hills Cop. And <laughs> I just, I don't, what, why does this toy exist? Why is Spider-Man dancing to an Eddie Murphy movie? Like, where do I <laughs> so begin? I- I have no more information than you do from this video. Uh, I have to believe this is a Chinese knockoff. Does this not just scream Chinese knockoff (laughs) toy to you? But it's like an amazing Chinese knockoff. And it it really, you can tell whoever made this really thought about how they were going to make this little video because of the way it slowly lowers down. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, it's a top. And then it's like the kind of light up toys they sell at like concerts, you know, yeah. like the crazy, like strobing neon colors. It's just all of that. I can even be like, yeah, well, you know, it's a toy for kids. Kids don't care if it makes any sense. (laughs) It's the Beverly Hills cop music that really pushes it over the edge (laughs) into like, is this even life? Like (laughs) what is happening right now? And, uh, (laughs) There's a little part of me that like I I want someone to explain this to me. I totally do. If you know where I can get this or why it exists, please tell me. But there's like this little tiny childhood wonder part of me that's like I hope I never find out. Like I just want this to be a beautiful mystery forever. <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes it's better not to know. It's true. The the truth could like terrify me. Maybe there's some like horrible deal with the devil somebody made and this is the end result yeah i think i agree with you that this whoever made this video knew exactly what they were doing because before he releases spider-man you cannot predict what's going to happen and no one is like i bet it's gonna play beverly hills cop no (laughs) no that you could probably put this up in front of nerds and take bets and be like okay now what's the next thing you think it's gonna do and then there's going to be one guy who's like hundred million to one Beverly Hills cop. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how that it's guy going to turn into a bitch. raccoon equally likely. <laughs> yeah. It, I guess at that point it really, Oh man, I just, I keep watching it because it's, it's so short that you can just like appreciate the suspense at the beginning. It has the same like cinematic flair as the Ryan Gosling cereal spoon going towards his mouth. That is one of my favorite memes, and I have no idea why. <laughs> it's just, it's really dumb. It's really pointless. Um, the one where he covers his mouth with like the scarf <laughs> yeah. is definitely my favorite because he like pouts a little, like, and the, the guy holding the spoon like jerks it back, like, at the last second. Like, oh, so- sorry, Ryan. Uh, it's crazy pants. The internet is a strange and beautiful place. Yep. So the Amazon Echo, we talked about the Amazon Echo when it was, I think, first announced. Because it had the weirdest product video like I'd seen in a long time, like the most awkward family ever. Amazon, their commercials are 
they take chances. Like they're willing That's a to generous their- way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice guy. They, but I mean, they do like a lot of their commercials are kind of weird and don't always really communicate a clear message <laughs> other than we are directly comparing ourselves to the iPad. Um, but the echo for those of you who don't remember, because it's not been in the news at all since basically the week it was announced is a Pringles can that you can shout orders at <laughs> and it will respond. So you can say like Pringles can play, you know, the Beverly Hills cop theme <laughs> and it'll do that over your stereo or you could say, you know, Pringles can what's the weather like, and it'll tell you what the weather is right now. But that didn't seem that impressive to most of us in the gadget community. So the reason this came up again for me is because I found this article where uh, the the reviewer said he got one as a review unit and now he's had it for five months and he says it's the most used gadget in his home. And that's a real ringing endorsement from someone who like carries a phone and tablet with them everywhere they go. And mm-hmm. it's probably like toying with wearables. So I'm like, I, but even like reading his rave review, which I just can't rationalize that he's right. Like <laughs> I, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm saying I'm unable to believe that he's telling the truth because the Amazon echo, as far as I can tell, doesn't really do anything I can't do with Google now or that you can't do with Siri. Yeah. So is it that the success rate is so much higher that it makes it worth it? Is it, is it the ease of use? Is it the fact that it can hear him from like a hundred feet away? Whereas your phone has to be super close to you. Like I can't imagine what I would just shout out that I wouldn't just do with my phone. That's in my pocket anyway. Yeah. Or eventually the thing that's going to be on your wrist. Right. So and that's the know, thing that you- got me about the, the, like the, the creepy product video was the family was casually using it in every room of their house, but I, uh, you you have to buy like 10 of them unless you're like going to actually carry this cylinder with you around your home. Yeah, or you have like some crazy open floor plan home. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, we don't believe in bedrooms. Yeah, Everyone the, just sleeps in the living room. This loft apartment downtown in your city near all the breweries. Yeah, but I mean, you can tell from that that original product launch video, it's like you said, there's there's either six of them, you know, in the house, there's one in the kitchen, there's one in the living room, there's one in the garage, there's one on the back porch, which is ridiculous because this thing is $200. There's no way somebody drops a grand on one of these or they're just carrying it from room to room, but you got to plug it in. Yeah. So you just unplug it and carry it and plug it in. You might as well use that other thing that you carry with you everywhere. Your phone. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. I just, I, I'd love to try one. I don't know anybody who has one and yeah. I'm not going to throw $200 at it just to check it out. No, I'm not either. But I mean, I wonder if, if uh, in a weird way, Amazon is first in this space with like trying to get that dedicated home device that listens to you and, and kind of answers you um, that isn't your phone. And is there space for that device? And my weird thing to suggest, it's not weird, um, is why isn't it 
the equivalent of the Apple TV, the the Amazon. What is, what is there? Fire TV. Um, there's the Fire TV, and there's also the Fire TV Stick. Right, or the Chromecast, or you know, a Roku. Like that makes sense to me. Is like you're already buying this thing to stick it and like to fling awesome stuff onto your TV. Throw some mics on it. It is now your Alexa, and uh, like I think that's going to be the hub that has the best chance in your in your living room or in your home. Is this thing you want anyway? Because you want a Netflix, um, whether it's built into your TV or you know these little ninety nine dollar boxes everyone's selling. Uh, y- yeah, but no, and here's why. So <laughs> my my gut reaction to why that wouldn't work is if you are listening to music playing through the the Alexa, you know, Amazon Echo speaker thingy, the Pringles can, and I'm about to go out. So in this scenario, you and I live together. So so you're listening to music and I'm about to go out and I want to know if it's going to rain later. So I say, you know, Alexa, is it going to rain later? And then the music volume ducks and then Alexa says like there's a 30% chance of rain later. And then I grab my umbrella and I cheerfully go out the door and, you know, it's magical Silicon Valley promo video. I that I think you would probably deal with because it's the equivalent of me basically asking you a question and you would have to maybe turn the volume down on your music to answer me. If I walked into the room where you were watching a movie and I was like, hey, Alexa, is it going to rain later? And it paused the movie. I think you'd be really pissed. So the TV thing would only work to me if you either lived alone or you only used it when like no one else was around or nobody else was using the device. Cause like, I think it'd be awesome if I could just walk into my living room and kind of like you can with the Xbox one. If I could just walk into my living room and be like Chromecast play Mad Men. And it just like came up on Netflix. Like that would be cool. But then if I'm watching TV and like Susan wants to know what the weather's like, or she wants to know if she has any other appointments that day, like the device is useless to her. Yeah. That's why I think it's going to be voice control will be that personal that you will want to be your device and a household with many people like can one do it maybe like maybe alexa will get smart enough to be like yeah i'm playing a show on that tv but i can also answer you not through the tv like i'll show up on your your watch or your phone with the answer but then you're like you're in this territory of like there this is really where ecosystems start to like you know right now if you want android wear you're not going to use an iPhone. I know there's rumors that Google may support iPhone eventually, like this summer. But right now, it's like you're all in on Android, or if you want an Apple Watch, you have to have an iPhone. And it's like these decisions are now deciding your family of gadgets, not just the one thing you want. Yeah, that's why I'm... I'm I know the the free and open stuff is typically behind for this very reason, because the company that has all the money that's trying to get more money... They do the research, they try experiments, they put products out, and then the free and open people tend to like imitate and copy and stuff, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that model, but what that means is you have to go through a lot of years of AOL video chat and ICQ and Skype before you get to WebRTC, right? Like. Now that we have WebRTC, I'm totally all about like no more proprietary nonsense for audio and video. Like this is now a web standard. Everybody agrees we need to be able to transmit audio and video over the internet easily and freely because we can do that now. So bada bing. But I mean, it's taken the better part of two decades for the 
the W3C to like get around to standardizing that, that's a long time. Like you'll, you'll probably have owned several versions of the Apple watch by the time there's some kind of like common protocol that all your smart devices can talk to. So you can have, you know, an Apple watch, but a TV made by Google and a phone made by Microsoft. Ha, you know, so like that, that's so far off that it's almost difficult to even think about because things could even happen between now and then that prevent that from happening at all. Yeah. And I mean that, I think I agree with that narrative, but it is kind of part of this larger narrative of, I think there's this wisdom that people think like, oh, vertical integration wins first and then open eventually beats the vertical integration like over time when it catches up. And I don't think I would want to say that as a general principle, but I I do kind of hope that happens in this space of like, yeah, you got to have the trailblazers that have money and are willing to like sell their big collection of things. But it really would be nice that when someone comes into my home, they can, you know, fling stuff onto my speakers in the living room or in the den and not be like, oh, I didn't bring my, you know, brand X. Guess I guess I'm not in this party now. Yeah. And, you know, actually, it's funny you should use the fling, you know, video example because and I don't think I told you this story already, but here I go. Uh, I was at a friend's house and somebody wanted to put a YouTube video up on the TV and he had a Chromecast. So he was like, Oh, just Chromecast it. And then I realized I was like, I don't think I've ever been in someone else's house where I was positive that they had a Chromecast. So while the other guy was trying to find his video, I like found a funny video that I knew of that like jumped into my head quickly. So I threw that up there and then another guy was like looking for something and he put that up and you can like add things to the queue. And after we'd been doing that for like 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, oh, this this is like what all those promo videos are always acting like <laughs> yeah. will happen, right? But I mean, it worked exactly the way it's supposed to. Like I could add a video to the queue. I could be a jerk and I could just, you know, put my thing in front and stop whatever was currently playing. <laughs> but then, of course, everybody would give me crap. So like there's some social pressure. So you don't have to have technological control. But like it worked really 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 well like one guy was on his chromebook another person had a laptop two of us had phones we were all just like throwing things onto the television over the airwaves it was kind of awesome like it it kind of worked exactly the way you would hope that it would yeah and and you just you can't really you can't like if you had walked in with your iphone it would have been like hey you can watch us do this but you can't really participate (laughs) Could could I though with the Chrome app or YouTube? Um, you know I'm not sure. Maybe I know it doesn't have the Chromecast app, but it might have Chromecast built into. I'm pretty sure it does certain apps. So I mean, it's still like slightly vertical integration-y. It's like well, you got to use Google's apps, but it's still way the hell better than like your entire device is not allowed to join the party. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they're, if I remember correctly, Google was trying to make Chromecast like a a faux standard where it was like, yeah, this is our thing and we developed it and we control it, but you're welcome to make stuff that talks to it. Yeah. Which is, it's not, it's an olive branch, right? Like it's it's a ceasefire. It's not exactly a peace treaty, but it's it's yeah. something. It's at least like progress in the right direction kind of like hey help us become king and we'll reward you later yeah i mean basically but to me this is one it's a service so i trust google to do it 
better than most other companies. Yeah. And two, it's infrastructure. Like, I don't really want to have to say like, you know, oh, use your Apple iPhone to send an Apple AirPlay video to the Apple TV that's connected to my Apple TV device box. Like that's, that feels more like I'm just a spokesperson for Apple. Like what I want to be able to say is like, you know, oh, I remember you telling me about that video, cast it to the TV. Like that's the fact that you can make a more generic statement to me makes it feel like a little bit more open. And that's probably just all psychological mumbo jumbo. Like, there's probably not a really good reason that I feel that way, but that's yeah. just like I wouldn't say, hey, turn on your Verizon Fios television box and tune in to CBS so that we can watch great Thursday evening shows. Like no one would speak a sentence like that. That would be <laughs> weird, right? You would just say, turn on the TV. <laughs> Play me some damn Game of Thrones. <laughs> So we do have a a couple more things I think we can get to this episode. I don't think we're going to marathon it this time. Um, There's a couple 3D printer stories I actually want to get to. That uh, And just a meta comment, I really think 3D printers and 3D printing in general is one of those things that is already so advanced but like the the cultural understanding of like what we can do now is so behind. Like there people are printing prosthetic arms and legs and toys and like even things like approximating engines and um and you know it's not quite the terminator 3 terminator where like it can make plasma weapons out of itself um but so we're not we're not to terminator future yet is what you're saying yeah but like the the gap between what people think is possible and what actually is possible i think is one of the largest in tech right now is it's not so much that 3d printing is ridiculously advanced it's like people just don't even realize what you can print and uh, so our first story just uh you know before you can answer me on that story (laughs) um is uh there's a a blind mother and uh she went in for ultrasound and like yeah it's not going to do her ladder good to have the screen that shows her baby um but they 3d printed her child onto like a it, it might be plastic. It might be. I didn't didn't read the substance they used. It it's it's probably the the polymer that they use in yeah. a lot of three D printers. So it's it's like a plastic. And so th- this this blind mother was able to feel the face of her child um, as her experience of the ultrasound. And uh, I just like I know this is one of those like it is a local news story where I, I found this article and it's perfect for that kind of news. But just one of those things. Are, well, and. And I'm pretty sure the the actual video itself is made by like Huggies, isn't it? Like, yeah, th- th- this is like a it's I mean, it's amazing, but it's also produced by a company that wants you to think of them when you think of moms and babies. Yeah. But this is one of those uses of technology where I'm like, yes, do that. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, I'll be honest. I was watching this and I was like, oh, that's because I knew what was going to happen. Like, it's part of the article. The title is pretty clear. And I'm watching, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. And it's in, I think, is it uh, Portuguese? Were they in Brazil? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's in Portuguese, but it's subtitled. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to kind of string her along while the tech goes and prints out the sonogram and brings it over. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then she gets the, the little um, printing in her hand because, you know, it's obviously, it's not like a full model of the baby. It's just whatever showed up on the sonogram. And she like starts crying and then I realized I was like kind of crying. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Like 
they should just do this for like every blind person everywhere. This is yeah. so amazing. Like I, this I'm with you a hundred percent. Like if more people knew that this was the kind of stuff you could do with 3d printing, they would suddenly be interested. Yeah. And I just decided, uh, my litmus test for mainstream culture, finally getting it with 3d printing is when some director makes a horror movie where the 3d printed sonogram comes to life and starts like hunting people down or something. See, that feels a lot more like a jump the shark moment to me. <laughs> it's like 3D printing is now so ubiquitous. We've made a B minus horror movie. Exactly. About it. B minus is generous. Also, you had a lot of generous statements. <laughs> I'm um, in a great mood. The classic just update of like, you know, one of the classic horror movie, like B movie horror movies would be like Waxworks. Um, you know, it's a wax museum. What if they came alive? Ah. So this would just be the new version of that. But. We also have this other 3D printing story. You want to tell me about this? Yeah, so uh, Adafruit, or Adafruit, I think it's Adafruit, um, this company that sells all kinds of cool, like, MakerBot stuff and, and Arduino stuff and lots of, like, cool things for makers, um, they started selling a bamboo filament. So the filament is what you actually shove into a 3D printer that it then extrudes and does the printing with, and... This is made of bamboo, which means you can literally 3D print something out of wood. Because, and th- so I think we've talked about 3D printing a lot. I don't know if, we, if we've ever like openly stated what makes it 3D printing and not carving is that you have nothing and you add stuff and you, th- yeah. then you have a finished product. Whereas like a carving would be like you have a block of wood and you carve parts off yeah. until you just have the remaining so the fact that you're not you can, sculpting your building. Yeah, yeah. Sculpting is a way better word. Let's pretend that's the word I use. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the fact that they made this bamboo filament means you can make wooden parts. I mean, granted, they have to be made out of bamboo. It's not like you could choose to do it out of like oak or pine, but you could make a wooden part out of wood with your 3D printer. So you may have total, you know, you're all thumbs. You can't use woodworking tools, but you want to make like a little box or, you know, a frame for a picture or, or some kind of, there's actually a couple cool examples on their, the out of fruit website is like this little like game boy knockoff. There's like a little box for one of their, their Arduino kits. Um, there's a big sword in the background for seemingly no reason, but <laughs> they all look more or less like they were cut from solid wood. I mean, yeah. obviously, if you look at it closed, you can see like the pattern of the, the filament and where it went, but you still end up with something that is basically solid wood that started out as a roll of bamboo rope, basically. My favorite sentence on this site is, it feels and smells just like real wood. <laughs> because... If you've ever uh, smelled anything, you know that wood is uh, right up there on quality smells. Yeah. You know, that actually may be <laughs> the, the only example I can think of where if someone handed me something and said, hey, smell this, I wouldn't be like, it's not a good idea. I guess maybe like, you know, like a good bourbon, like, hey, get a whiff of this, but or tobacco, yeah. like pipe tobacco or something, but. Yeah, nothing says uh, quality product like, hey, get a whiff of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, I know whenever I go to a wine tasting, the sommelier is always like, uh, hey, 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 you get a whiff of this. You smell those apple notes. <laughs> it's kind of got like an oaky odor. Like, smell yeah, the fluorastomer. 
<laughs> but this, I mean, this is this is right up there with me. It's definitely not as heart uh, heartstring pulling as the the 3D printed sonogram, but this is proof that there are things happening in the 3D printing world that regular people just know nothing about. Like, I would love to show somebody something printed with this this bamboo filament and be like, oh, I sculpted that or I, I whittled that. And then they're like, oh, wow. And it's like, JK, 3D printing. And it's <laughs> like, they don't even know. A lot of people, I think, still aren't even really clear on what 3D printing is. And I think they'd be really flummoxed if you were like, yeah, you can 3D print stuff out of wood. Yep. And I like bamboo too. I feel like bamboo is um, like a really good material to use for like a, like a normal person would use it. Cause like just imagine, I know this sounds, this is going to sound like a really trite use case, but just imagine like you have a 3d printer, you have a spool, of this bamboo filter and you, uh, you like snap like a kitchen utensil, you know, that's made out of, of bamboo. Cause a lot of them are. And then you're like, Oh, now I got to go to the store and buy a new one. You're like, Oh wait, I can just design one in, you know, 3d modeling software and print one in my house right now. Yeah. And like, I don't even have to stop cooking dinner. I can just create a new one from virtually nothing right this minute. And then you're like, Oh, but I'm not good at 3d modeling. I'll then you download the spoon. Like (laughs) you download a spoon from the internet and then you print it with your 3d bamboo printer. Like I'm convincing myself that I need to buy one of these right now. Uh, They're still like thousands of dollars, though. Yeah, Um, they are, but I want one in my life. The other best thing about bamboo is uh, you could imagine like a little child, probably uh, whatever the the little Bam Bam from uh, Flintstones could just be a could just be like bamboo like you would just yell it and not a lot of (laughs) other substances have have that little child yelling simple syllables in their corner so i just found the marketing angle they should go with you absolutely did but this is i'm looking at the one of the printers they have uh they have one here that's under a grand but it's pretty small like it, it can't print very large things and then they just rapidly they the prices skyrocket from yeah. there I wonder if it's going to be kind of kind of like with uh you know going to Target to get your photos printed or um, going to Radio Shack for some reason at all. Um <laughs> <laughs> like if it'll have that middle stage of like yeah, I went and printed my new dryer knob that broke off yesterday at Target while I was, you know, buying a new trash can and uh like it'll it will have that middle stage or will it leapfrog that and just immediately be a consumer product. We'll, uh, uh, no, I think it'll definitely have the middle stage because the hardware is expensive and most people, they're not going to have daily or even weekly reasons to do this, right? Like it would just be a novelty and then there'd be like a monthly or semi-monthly legitimate reason like, oh, I broke a dryer knob or oh, I broke a, you know, this spatula that I really like and I need to print it out of wood. Um, that's like, that's not something that happens all the time. A wood so, spatula seems like a bad idea. What are you talking about? That way you don't scrape the Teflon off your pans. That's why you have bamboo kitchen utensils. <laughs> All right. Th- this is true. You will look this up later and and not care because it's not that important. But <laughs> but, but um, this is uh, the same thing like when everybody started buying photo printers and then they printed like 100 billion photos and then they never used it again because you don't have a reason to print photos that often. But yeah. – I do like that if I want to send like my grandmother pictures of her granddaughter, I can just go to like Target or whatever and just or Walgreens even, you know, 
just be like, hey, uh, here's a USB drive. Just print two copies of each of these photos. And then I have them in like 90 seconds. Yeah. No film, no crazy dark room. Nothing has to be developed. I don't even, in fact, now in like Walgreens and Target and a lot of those places, you don't even have to talk to a human being. I can literally just walk up to a kiosk and print them right, right there myself. Like it's awesome. Yeah. I really, I really want that to come for 3d printing. Just like the, yeah, you're at the grocery store, you're wherever. And yeah, just that random thing you need. You can download the spec or bring it with you or whatever. Your, your phone has it and you show a QR code that gets scanned and then printed and then scanned again. And then you get the little widget you need or, you know, oh, the gas cap on my car broke. And just like all these things that like no one sells in a store and no one should sell in a store. But if you need it, just, you know, some basic rate for the use of the material and the wear and tear coverage on the device itself and then a little bit of profit margin. Yeah, that seems awesome. Let's do that. Yeah, and you know, I don't I don't know if we've talked about 3D printing from this aspect f- before, but you just made me realize one of the most important things that 3D printing can do is it means like inventory is basically a thing of the past because I don't want uh, ships to have to go and ruin some beautiful vista overseas and fill tankers with oil and bring the oil back and then refine that oil and then press that oil into a hundred million dryer knobs in case I need a dryer knob. Yeah. Like that's, that's a huge waste of materials and resources and effort and energy and everything. But what would be cool is if I had one machine that could print dryer knobs or phone handsets or you know socket covers or anything else that's made out of like the that kind of material because then you can keep way less of that stuff on hand and then just make exactly what you need exactly when you need it problem solved you know very very minimal waste certainly orders of magnitude less than you had before and that's i think that's part of the reason the the bamboo filament is so impressive to me is because uh, it's a bamboo is a super easily renewable resource. It grows like a weed. It grows all over. You can grow it indoors. There's it's, it, it's really easy to produce and it's really hardy. So you can make durable things out of this material without putting a massive strain on earth's precious, precious resources. Man, I just think about like just little things that people will invent that, you know, they would never have the manufacturing connections or or capital to start that are going to like take off like wildfire when 3D printing is that ubiquitous like just little widgets for like oh i need a a microphone stand or a thing that does you know holds my mic in this weird way or pins these cord or like all these little things that even just as a podcaster that's like no one makes this cuz it's not you know it's not a 10 million customer product but someone could just design out of the kindness of their heart and just publish it to the internet. And then so many people's lives would be improved by that. It would just be like, yes, bring it on. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like little minor stuff, like I'm looking right now at my, uh, my microphone and the clip, which ironically is actually made by the company that makes the microphone is like a tiny bit too small for the microphone. Like, <laughs> Like every time I have to put the mic into the clip, I have to like kind of wedge it in with a little more force than I would like. And 
I could just 3D print an ever so slightly larger microphone clip, <laughs> right? You know, just one, maybe it's meant for a different model. I don't know, but it's, I could just make like a slightly larger one instead of like going to a music store where they keep hundreds of these on hand just in case somebody needs to buy one. And they sell them at 200% markup. Yeah, it's honestly, it's, I mean, the cost, I would love everything to be free, obviously, like Star Trek future style, but it's it's not just the cost, it's the, it's like the resource cost and the, the inventory cost and the manpower and, and all of this other waste that is so frustrating. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll pay for the thing. It would just be nice to know that like you didn't have to clear cut a forest so that I could get this single microphone clip. And wouldn't it allow for like more rapid iteration on like what makes a good microphone clip? Oh, yeah, because you would have the kind of person who would go onto the internet download a 3d rendering print it and then use it is probably the same kind of person who would turn around and say like hey this worked really well here's what i liked about it or this worked really poorly here's what i didn't like about it or the design is good but you have to make it out of this filament instead of that other filament otherwise it's going to snap at the bottom and it's like you would have a lot of smart people being able to collaborate on something that you used to have to like get together in a design lab and like slowly build prototypes and test them and then bring your data back together. Like you could distribute all of that across space and time, time Lord style and do like way more interesting, like consumer level research, like consumers becoming researchers and designers of their own products that they themselves want to consume. Yeah. And it could also be a a real boon for, people who have niche products that aren't like right now, if you get an iPhone or like a Samsung or like one of the most prominent smartphones, you probably have a pretty awesome selection of cases and stuff. But if you bought like the, the ugly stepchild phone or, um, you know, one that's a great phone, but it just didn't succeed in the market. And suddenly you're like, well, I can choose from all of these one case that manufacturers decided to make. Um, 3d printing will will release you from that because it's like, Oh, you know, if there's other enthusiasts for this phone or if I'm industrious enough, I can make my own case. Yeah, and I'm actually thinking like cases wrapped around stuff, um, you know, like an iPhone case or a, a, a smartphone case, like that's cool. But I'm also thinking when I was like 12 and playing Super Nintendo, if my father, because my, my father's like his handy guy, he's a carpenter, um, if he would have had like a 3D printer at the time and said like, Oh, uh, your favorite color is red. Uh, how about we make a red Super Nintendo case? So we'll just we'll 3D print the case in your favorite color, and then we'll just take the board out of the Super Nintendo and put it into this 3D printed case, and then you'll have a custom red Super Nintendo. Or we'll put flames on the side, or we'll make it you know the size of ten Super Nintendos all stitched together. <laughs> like you could do like stupid things like that because it would be really trivially easy. Like even though he would have been capable of doing like a model of that, you wouldn't have to, because you could just download the plans for a super Nintendo case and print out exactly, you know, the right one in the material you wanted. Like I'm now really sad. I didn't have a 3d printed bamboo super Nintendo and I may have to find a way to make that happen. Yeah. And I even feel like if you were, you know, like say you you got an early Xbox 360 and your dad reads the news and he's like, oh, this thing's going to overheat. Um, print a different case that has better airflow that Microsoft wouldn't have wanted to make their model out of because it wouldn't be as sexy or like as sleek and small and tiny. And uh, 
yeah, avert disaster with your, you know, $300 game console. Yeah, I do actually remember because uh, the original PS3, the one that had so the the PS3 had three stages of backwards compatibility, none software and hardware. And I think the one that had software backwards compatibility is the one that overheated the most because the, you know, the chips had to work extra hard. Emulating and is hard. Emulating is really hard, especially going back only one generation. So I'm not surprised that it overheated, but it's, that's still a bad thing. And I saw, there were videos all over YouTube of people like just ripping holes in their case. You know, they would like take the case off and then cut a big rectangle out of the back, or they would have some kind of crazy, like oscillating fan pointed at their PS3 all the time to prevent it from overheating. And that's like you it's yeah it's a trivial problem yeah it's a stupid first world problem but like that's okay like (laughs) this is it's it's still a problem it would be nice if we could solve right so let's just go ahead and solve it with this awesome 3d printing technology 3d printing can still go on to solve other problems and if you have a good way to get first world people to pay for it why not yeah, seriously, let the the people who want a custom Xbox case subsidize, you know, the blind mothers getting a 3D printed sonogram like that's I see no problems with that arrangement and neither will the people who get the awesome, you know, flames on the side Xbox case that they will be happy. Everyone else is happy. Win win. Yep. You want to go ahead and take us out? Yeah. So that was episode 67 of Flipping Tables. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 67. And we'll have links to all these articles and these videos and especially the Spider-Man top. You got to go watch the Spider-Man top video. If you watch one Spider-Man top video this summer, it should be this one. <laughs> yes. Um, we love feedback, so uh, the best way is probably Twitter, though uh, if you can find us elsewhere, go for it. Uh, we have websites and email addresses, but um, on Twitter, I'm at Medwards Music, and Lions, you are? At Lions in Beta. All right. And, uh, you know, if you're just listening to this on the web browser, um, that's totally cool. But what's even cooler is subscribing so that new episodes just show up automatically onto your phone or tablet or um, smart watch, pendant, necklace, earring. Um, so whatever you got, if it has a podcatcher, um, my favorite is overcast.fm. It's a, it's a free iPhone app. Or if you're on Android. Pocket Cast is still my all-time favorite. All right. Um, we'll know at the end of an episode if you've changed your mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can use the RSS buttons on our website. Um, or just uh, if your podcatcher has a search engine, you could search for flipping tables and chances are it'll find it. Um, if you want to support us directly, you can head to our Patreon. We have a Patreon going, and uh, the more support we get, the more we can invest. And we're even dreaming up maybe having some new shows um, about other cool topics. Um, nothing to reveal yet, but uh, the more support we can get, the more we can throw our weight into this. And uh, if you want to check that out, head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on the level you support us, you might get your name in the credits at the end of every episode. And so with that, we want to give super special, amazing thanks to Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Lunga. You guys are amazing. You are amazing. So with that, we'll see you next week. <laughs>